Access Pro Rata, where we take just 10 minutes to get you smarter on the collision of tech, business, and politics. Brought to you by Facebook. I'm Dan Permack. On today's show, the cost of President Trump's July 4th extravaganza and a major boom in fireworks sales. But first, big business fights for gay rights. So the Supreme Court returns to session in October, and one of the most closely watched cases is actually three cases in which workers claim they were fired because they were gay or transgender. Uh, one was a skydiving instructor in New York, one was a funeral home employee in Michigan, and the other a county government employee in Georgia. Lower courts found for the employees in each case, finding they were covered by existing federal anti-discrimination law. But their employers have appealed, arguing that sexual orientation and gender identity are not specifically codified in the statutes, thus the Supreme Court case. And when the justices do get to it, they will find an amicus or friend of the court brief from over 200 large U.S. companies from all sorts of industry sectors and geographies arguing in favor of the fired employees. It is said to be the most ever corporate signers for an LGBTQ non-discrimination case, and they argue basically that equality for employees is essential to maintaining a healthy and productive workplace. They also believe it's what their customers and clients want. The bottom line here, big business once tried to keep politics at the water's edge, or at least just the provenance of lobbying and campaign contributions. Now, it's just a part of, well, doing business. In 15 seconds, we'll go deeper with John Winkle-Reed, the former co-president of Goldman Sachs and the current co-CEO of private equity giant TPG, both of which signed on to the brief. But first, this. People are asking for more ways to see and control the information companies have on them, and companies are changing in response. To learn what steps Facebook is taking, check out facebook.com about ads. We're joined now by John Winkleried, co-CEO of private equity giant TPG. So John, TPG this week joined this amicus brief to the Supreme Court, asking that the court find that existing discrimination laws cover LGBTQ workers. From a business perspective, why is this important to you? Well, I mean, it's important to us for several reasons, Dan. I, I think, first of all, uh, we're finding that more and more making sure that people understand our values, what's important to us as a firm. Uh, it, it, we're, we're just finding that that's, a, that's increasingly important in terms of the world that we live in these days and, uh, from, from several different perspectives. First and foremost, I think you know, you know our business is a people business, and uh, people um, ultimately, um, are, I, think, I think people feel like understanding the values and what's important to the values and priorities of a firm like ours and what's important to us as an organization um, affects how people feel about working for us, affects how people feel about engaging with us. Um, you know, we have a, over a thousand people that work directly for TPG. We have an ecosystem, as you know, of um, many portfolio companies that are represented by CEOs and leaders of those companies. We have boards that govern each of these companies. And so, you know, our view is that we want to be able to, to um, attract uh, the best people that we can attract to our firm, to our ecosystem. We want to be able to attract the best people to want to engage with us. You know, we go out and, as you know, we go out and find uh, founder entrepreneurs or entrepreneur leaders of companies uh, and in the, you know, we just feel like it's very important that we express our priorities and our values, and that we um, we lean into that, and we we're 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 um, 
you know, we're, we're uh, um, making it clear what's important to us as an organization. When you talk about those portfolio companies and those, you know, the CEOs and the thousands of people who work for those portfolio companies, do you, is, you know, is there any concern that you're effectively, that TPG is effectively applying its uh, policy prescriptions or, or social sentiments on these other companies, these other CEOs, these other employees, some of whom might feel differently? Um, no, there's not a concern because we're not, we're not forcing it on people and we're not applying it to other people in, in terms of, hey, you need to stand for this or you need to believe in this. Um, we feel like it's important that, and, it, and, it, and we feel it's important that they understand what we stand for because we believe at the end of the day that, um, you know, really talented people come in all shapes and sizes and, you know, and, and, and um, when you think about how we feel about our organization being an inclusive one, a diverse one, we feel that way about our ecosystem more broadly. And at the end of the day, we feel like it's good business. We feel like that attracts the most talented people. And so we're not, we're not telling people, Hey, you need to feel the same way. We're, 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 we're you know, we, we're, we're, we're making a statement based upon how we think about these, these issues and, and, and that we think they're important and we think it's important to take a position and take us, take a stand on many of these issues that we've, that we've done this kind of thing on, like this, like this brief. Did you consider doing this as individuals, and, and I, as opposed to a firm? And I guess the reason I ask is, uh, former RNC chair Ken Melman, who now leads public policy for KKR, which is one of your, either call it a peer firm or rival private equity firm, he also signed on to an amicus brief, but his employer KKR didn't, so he did it as an individual. Was that ever a consideration, or was it always, if we're going to do this, we're putting TPG's name on the board, just like you know these other 199 or so companies did? We, we, we didn't have an active conversation about that because um, I think we've gotten to a place where as a firm, we feel like um, we want to express our point of view and our values um, as an organization and as a firm. Um, if somebody asked me whether or not I would do it individually, I'd be, you know, I'd certainly be happy to lean into, lean into it or make a decision on that myself. Um, in this case, obviously, I would have been very happy to support this issue myself personally for a combination of reasons, but um, we didn't evaluate, should we do it as individuals or should we do it as a firm? This is something that we, we've, we've sort of taken a decision as an organization that we want to be a leader in this respect. Um, we think it's good business. We think it's good for our people. And so that's, um, it's, that's, it's as simple as that. Uh, John, I wonder, are you surprised, you know, again, there's these 200 companies on there, including your former employer, Goldman Sachs, which, which is sitting on this amicus brief, but it appears that TPG is the only private equity firm on there. And, and we're talking about here a multi-trillion dollar industry with, with hundreds of players and, you know, say a couple dozen really large players. Why, f from your perspective, do you have any sense on why none of your peers signed on? Because I am, it, it's almost inconceivable that they weren't approached. Yeah. It's, a, it's a really good question, Dan. I, I'm, first of all, I'm, I'm surprised. Um, you know, secondly, I think that, um, I do think there's that, that doing things like this is a bit of an institutional mindset issue. And, you know, we've, um, we've really, as a firm, we've really tried to be, become leaders as it relates to, um, how people view our organization from the, from the perspective of, uh, being an inclusive organization, um, caring about these issues and we've really tried to be leaders with respect to sort of, you know, putting our, our priorities as an organization, our values as a firm out there. I'm very surprised that other people haven't done it. 
um, like this. What I'm hoping, to be honest with you, is I, 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 I'm hoping that things like this where we show up, uh, look, I mean, other firms will do what they will do. You know that. But I'm, I'm hopeful that by, by virtue of a firm like ours doing this, I'm hopeful that it influences other people to do this because I think that it makes it stronger. Um, I think it influences the conversation. I'd like to see other firms get it. I'd like to see other firms, you know, take, take a point of view, take a position. John, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Dan. Appreciate it. My final two, right after this. Everyone is different. That's why you should be able to customize your experience online so that you feel comfortable. To learn more, visit facebook.com slash about slash ads. Now it's time for my final two. And first up is tonight's Independence Day celebration in the nation's capital, which for years was a pleasantly nonpartisan event full of music, fireworks, and all sorts of meat on sticks. But as you've no doubt heard by now, this year's version will also include some remarks by President Trump, military jet flyovers, and even some armored tanks for spectators to gawk at. Uh, basically, Bastille Day comes to them all. Now, the big number here is 2.5 million which is the amount of money that Trump's party is pulling from other parts of the U.S. Park Service, which has never been the most generously funded part of the U.S. government. Or put another way, those tanks and jets are the reason why other Americans get less at their own local facilities. Happy Independence Day. And finally, fireworks. Now, it is still illegal for ordinary citizens to own them in some places, including my state of Massachusetts, but nationwide, they are a big and endlessly growing business. The American Pyrotechnics Association reports that consumer fireworks sales have risen for each of the past six years, hitting a whopping $945 million in 2018, while commercial sales are on a 20-year boom, hitting $360 million last year. Literally, money to burn. And we're done. Big thanks for listening. And to my producer, Terrence Malangone, have a great July 4th, which also happens to be National Caesar Salad Day, and we'll be back on Monday with another Pro Rata Podcast.